Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes, the premier podcast on hand and upper extremity rehabilitation. As a worldwide educator and developer of best-in-class hand therapy content, Susan Weiss, occupational therapist and certified hand therapist, brings you an array of hand therapy specialists, hand care solutions, and more. Welcome to Hand Therapy Heroes. For those of you who missed the last podcast titled Flexor Tendon Repairs Change People's Lives, I highly recommend going back and listening. That has a lot of information that ties into this episode. For those of you who aren't going to go back, I am going to repeat my introduction of our hero today, as we are incredibly fortunate to have not one, but two opportunities to share with this hand therapy hero, Dr. Lalonde. Dr. Lalonde is a professor in the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at St. John's in Canada. He is a brilliant hand surgeon who for the past 35 years has generously shared his knowledge with thousands of therapists and surgeons from across the globe. His love for teaching has given him the opportunity to provide visiting professorships to 58 institutions, and he has had that many or more as guest observers or visiting professors to St. John's. He has authored over 150 reference journal articles, a wide array of book chapters, and is the editor of the Wide Awake Hand Surgery book. And this is my favorite part of the introduction. Dr. Lalonde has presented 636 international and national presentations. So if you've managed not to hear him speak at any of these meetings after today, you are going to be seeking out these meetings just to hear him speak again. So without further delay, let's begin our discussion. So we're back with part two of this podcast. I know you guys have been super duper excited waiting for this, and we were just rolling into relative or uh, relative motion orthosis and other cool stuff about the wide awake procedures. So let's start with the relative motion orthosis and the pencil test. Everybody hears about pencil test, pencil test, and relative orth motion orthosis. First of all, what's a pencil test? Well, let's let's back up a little bit and think about the patient that we all see okay. surgeons and therapists who just comes in with hand pain and they go oh i fell six months ago and ever since then my hand is killing me or my fingers killing me and every time i move my long finger I, I get a pain and they show you what they're doing and they show you that it hurts and they might even show you a little swelling uh, in between the metacarpals and you look at the x-rays and the x-rays are normal and the surgeon sends the patient to the ther therapist because he doesn't know what to do. And the therapist may try a number of things and some of them work, but a lot of times, a lot of them don't like buddy taping for interosseous tears that they buddy tape forever and they're still sore. So a lot of things don't work. So what I like to do is I just sit the patient across from me on a hand exam table 
And I ask them to put their elbows on the table and I ask them to make a fist a few times. And I say, that, that hurts, right? And they go, yeah, yeah. And, and they're doing it with both their hands. And I say, show me where it hurts. Okay, it hurts right there. Okay, that's good. And then let's pretend it's the long finger. So I put the pencil uh, underneath the long finger on the palmer side. So now the finger is in the relative motion extension position. And I get them to make a fist a few times and I say, well, does that hurt more, less, or the same as when you didn't have the pencil there? And there, they may say, oh, geez, you know, that, that actually hurts more. Oh, okay, well, that's not very good. So let's try this. So then you take the pencil and you put it in the relative motion flexed position. So the pencil's touching the dorsal side of the long finger and it's underneath the index ring and small fingers. And you make, get them to make a fist a few times. And you say, is that hurt more or less or the same as without the pencil there? Now, in maybe 40, 50% of the cases, it's not going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. And so the pencil test is negative and you're really not going to help the patient. But at least half the time, what's going to happen is one of those positions is going to make the pain worse. And one of them it might completely take it away. Mm -hmm. And and when that happens, the patient goes, holy crap, this has been hurting for six months and it's not hurting at all right now. And what happens is they just keep moving it. They don't stop moving it. They're so, their body is so, oh my God, I'm moving it. It doesn't hurt. That they just keep moving it. And so when that happens, um, while it's happening, and I just let them play with it for a while, and I just keep watching them, and I watch their face, and I see if there's any pain there, and there's no pain. The pain's all gone. The, the 11 lines on the forehead are gone. You know, they're happy. They're not frowning. And uh, then I have the therapist build them either the relative motion flexion splint or the relative motion extension splint that solved the pain problem. And, and we have now uh, fixed well over 100 patients' pain, hand pain with this. Like, I, I don't even know what the number is, but it's well over 100. I did it this morning here at the Kleinert Institute. Um, the, one of the doctors had fallen and had a sore hand for a month, and she couldn't adduct her little finger. Okay. And I knew that this was a no-brainer. I knew we could fix that. And we just did the pencil test, took the pain away, and we built her a splint. And what happens is that the patients wear the splint as long as it takes for the body to heal. So here's how it works. We didn't spend two billion years evolving pain because it's bad for us, regardless of what television commercials tell us. Mm -hmm. The pain that we feel after injury is our body's only way to say to us, hey, would you quit that? I'm trying to heal in here and you're screwing it up. Would you stop that? And you can't hear that little voice with Advil in your ears. So the first thing you do is you get them off Advil and Tylenol and you get them to listen to their body. And then if with the relative motion flexion or extension orthosis, the pain is gone and they can use their hand, we have rebalanced the forces so the body can heal. If we get rid of the pain, we have rebalanced the forces so the body can heal. As long as it hurts to move, the body's not healing. And so um, it works. And, you know, if, if you just look at the papers, look at all the videos, 
And it's all about the pain. You know, pain is one of the most amazing devices that or amazing ad adaptations that our, our body has figured out. And it's just such a good thing. But, you know, I need to go back because we were talking about flexor tendon repair. Yes. And one of the common problems with flexor tendon repair is extensor lag. And okay. we talked about that in our other conversation. But now I'd like to talk about the flexor tendon gets stuck in scar and cannot flex. Okay. Because that happens a lot too. You know, you, you're seeing the patient, oh, I was moving great last week at two weeks after surgery. And then they come in at four weeks or three weeks and they can't flex their DIP anymore after a mm -hmm. profundus repair. And so the, that's changed a lot too. So okay. when I was a young surgeon, I would be tempted to do tenolysis. You know, I almost never have to do tenolysis anymore. And for me now, tenolysis is a sign of failure. And it should be. Surgeons should almost never be doing tenolysis except in unusual circumstances. And so here's what happens when the flexor tendon gets stuck at four or five or six weeks. The first thing to do is you to pull out your ultrasound. Now we have one in our clinic, and so that's good. But even if you don't, everybody has access to ultrasound. It's not nearly as expensive as MRI. And a good radiologist, but even better if the hand therapist has access to her own ultrasound, and if the hand surgeon has access to his own ultrasound, when, when you look, you can see instantaneously that the tendon is either ruptured or not ruptured. So if the tendon is ruptured, then you got to go back to the operating room and do surgery and hopefully do something different than was done the first time. Otherwise, you're going to repeat plan A. Mm -hmm. But if the tendon is not ruptured and it's just stuck in scar, that's when you pull out the relative motion extension splint. And you can start with just doing it with a pencil. And so you put the stuck finger in a relatively extended position to the other fingers and any listener right now if you just take a pencil and put it underneath your long finger and on top of your index ring and small fingers and make a full fist and look what happens to the dip joint of your long finger you're really cranking that thing in you're it, you're yeah, flexing it, it really way more really a dip significant difference you're right right Right. And so what that does is, once again, patients exercise while they are living. 500 times a day, they're flexing and extending their fingers. And it causes differential gliding of profundus and superficialis and puts more torque on profundus, which is where you want it. And what that'll do is free up the scar and liberate that DIP joint and allow the patient to start to flex again. And so um, relative motion extension splints are awesome for fingers that are stuck, or profundus tendons that are stuck in scar after flexor tendon repair. That's a brilliant tip. I absolutely love that. And we, uh, we actually have our patients look at their own profundus repairs with the ultrasound in our clinic. So our therapists and our patients and I all have access to the ultrasound. And the patients are looking at their own tendon on the screen of the ultrasound. And they're going, oh, look at that. That's my tendon. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, that's how you move that thing. Look at that. 
And it, I just let them play with it for half an hour. I said, look, I want you to sit here and just look at your tendon and get it moving for the next half hour because it's stuck in scar. And I come back and it's amazing. Sometimes they've actually gained maybe five or 10 degrees just because they can see their tendon. Wow. Unbelievable. The, yeah, it's fun. The way the it's mind good. can actually incorporate that seeing is believing. It goes back to your why wide awake surgery is so effective too, just for them to be in the ability to see that what they're doing is actually happening because even any any of the cases that you're doing wide awake, it's hard for them to imagine that they can actually make a fist or that they can open their hand or things are working what they how they weren't working a few minutes before. In your last podcast with Dr. Alistair Phillips, he talked about having surgery on his own hand and seeing it awake and how it made such a profound impression on him to watch his hand that had not worked well for months all of a sudden work well. Uh, it's, it's an, and when you talk to Alistair about that and you talk to any patient who's actually had a disability for a prolonged period of time and then all of a sudden it's not there and they're seeing it at surgery there is nothing that can replace that for a driver for somebody to work hard with their therapist and get their movement back and that's part of the reason that it's called wide awake surgery because if people are sedated they can't remember have you had some resistance from the the patients to being awake. I was just thinking about that as you were talking about the the awesomeness of them being able to participate. What about the ones who are super anxious about being awake? Well, some people just can't be awake and that's fine, but most people can if it's explained to them properly. People are usually afraid of the unknown. Sure. And if you educate them and Reassure them that you're not going to hurt them with the local anesthesia because local anesthesia should not hurt in 2019. If it's hurting, it's just because the person who's giving it hasn't bothered to read the papers and look at the videos about how not to hurt people. <laughs> so you reassure them that you're not going to hurt them. And then I think more importantly is it's got to be about them. And so I say to patients, look, I can do your surgery asleep, but I know that I can get a much better result if you're awake. If you're there to help me, I can get a much better result because I can make sure that this works well and I can explain to you exactly how to keep it so that it works well during the surgery. And I can't do that if you're asleep. Right. And, and so when, when it's about them, a lot of people will change their tune. Speaking about personal cases, you too had a surgical procedure, which our listeners can see on Wayland.surgery. That was performed by Dr. Hogger after you had residual symptoms when you had your carpal tunnel released. And we would love to hear about your procedure and the process of recovery. Sure. So uh, I had my carpal tunnel done a number of years ago. And I got, I had a classic carpal tunnel waking me up at night, uh, positive nerve conduction studies, all the usual suspects. And I had a wide awake repair by my partner and it was a good repair. I know it was good because I actually got most of my feeling back, but I still had a little bit of numbness in my long and ring fingers. And it was intellectually more annoying than it was a functional problem. Like I, I'm going, wait a minute, how come I still have numbness? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. What's going on here? And um, 
So I asked him a year later, Jerry, would you do it again? Just humor me, you know? I know it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to make any difference, but I just want you to try it. Maybe you left a little band somewhere or whatever. And so the second, he said, yeah, Don, I don't mind. I'll do it for you because you're my friend. And you and I both know it's probably not going to make any difference. But, but I always do them asleep the second time. You know that. And I said, that's fine. You can put me to sleep. So he put me to sleep. The second time I had a, uh, a sleep uh, carpal tunnel, and it didn't make any difference. We knew it both wouldn't. We both knew it wouldn't. And then about five years later, uh, I was uh, giving a talk at the Canadian Hand Therapy Meeting in Vancouver, and one of my co-speakers was Elizabeth Hoggart, and she was talking about pronator release or median nerve release at the elbow. And uh, that evening, we were having a faculty dinner, and uh, I, I kind of grilled her about it because I wondered if my median nerve was compressed at the elbow and that's why I was still having a little better numbness in my long and ring finger but the operation for pronator release is horrible it's like a huge scar along your biceps and across your elbow crease and then 15 centimeters down your forearm and oh my god I wasn't going to do that and n nobody in North America believes in that operation anyway if you talk to most hand surgeons anyway and so uh, she said, yeah, I do that. And she had done quite a few. And I didn't know that she'd published on this. I didn't know her father was a peripheral nerve expert at this point. And mostly I didn't even know that she'd had the operation at this point. And um, eventually, I, and I said, look, I just want you to examine my hands if you don't mind. I'm curious to see how you tell if somebody has Lacerta syndrome, but we were calling it pronator syndrome then. Now we're calling it Lacerta syndrome. And I said, how do you make the diagnosis? Is nerve conduction studies useful? No, they're useless. Okay, fine. So how do you make the diagnosis? Physical exam and a little bit of history. They might have a little bit of numbness, but numbness is not usually the main thing. The main thing is usually weakness of FPL, flexor pollicis longus, or FDP2, flexor digitorum profundus of the index. And they're tender, tender underneath their lacertus. So I didn't tell her that I'd had my carpal tunnel done twice. And it was kind of dark where we were. And I said, go ahead, examine my hands. So I pull up my sleeves. And my scar is really good. You can't even see it really in my hand. So, so anyway, she, she examines my hands. And my FPL on the left side where I had my carpal tunnel release was incredibly weak. And my FDP2 was incredibly weak. And when she pressed on my median nerve under the lacertus, it almost brought me to the roof. Like it really hurt. And on my right side, I had a totally strong FPL, totally strong FDP2, and it didn't hurt at all when she pressed underneath my lacertus. And she said, Don, you got a lacertus compression in your left elbow. And I said, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that because uh, I have residual numbness after my carpal tunnel syndrome. She said, well, I rest my case. And, but I still didn't believe in this Lacertus operation. I mean, you know, you, you hear these things and, you know, it, it's, uh, so I kept bugging her about it, you know, and I said, Elizabeth, how do you know? You know, and then she pulled out her iPhone and showed me her FPL and FDP2 weakness before and after her surgery that her father did. Uh, but she was, so, so I thought, okay, now, now I'm starting to believe her. <laughs> because the surgeons actually had the surgery and she got better. So, mm -hmm. and then I went home and um, 
she sent me a video of a young woman who had exactly my symptoms and showed her exam before and after the surgery. And right after the surgery, you get your power back. That's, that's a whole other story, but it's fascinating how that it's happens. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And so uh, she sends me this video and she says, and by the way, I've started doing these awake. Now she got my attention because I'll be damned if I was going to be put to sleep to have somebody do my Lacerda's, but to have her do it awake. Uh, and it's really not a big incision and uh, not a big deal at all. And to get over this operation is less than getting over a carpal tunnel. Like, you know, uh, I said, look, so I invited her to St. John and in my office, she did my Lacerda's wide awake. And I got all my power of FPL and FTP2 on the table right after she released the Lacertus. And I got rid of all the rest of my numbness. I'm not numb anymore. And uh, it's uh, since then I've done, I don't know, 150, 200. Um, and it works. I mean, it's an amazing operation. And someday it will be done as frequently or almost as frequently as carpal tunnel in the right patients. Because what is carpal tunnel syndrome? It's a fibrous band that compresses the median nerve just past the joint. So what's Lacerda syndrome? It's a fibrous band that compresses the median nerve just past the elbow joint. And, and it's the same deal. It's the same thing. So when therapists or surgeons have someone like me, who probably should have got better after carpal tunnel surgery and didn't completely get better. Or if they have somebody who comes in and complains of weakness in their upper extremity, instead of just ignoring it, which is what most surgeons tend to do, actually examine your patient. What a concept. Mm -hmm. Because you'll get used to feeling weakness in FPL and FDP2. Because you'll get used to what's a normal FPL power and what's a normal FDP2 power. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you, you know, once you start doing this, you'll meet a lot of, it, it's one of those things that sees you, but you don't see it. Sure. Yeah, the, it's quite interesting when you, when you think about that in, in essence, whether it's a double crush that you actually have both going on, or is it simply the Lacertus and not really the carpal tunnel and the carpal tunnel doesn't have to be touched at all. It could just be just directly to Lacertus. Right. And I've had a number of patients where I've only done Lacertus, you know, uh, and like for one, one, ex one example is I had a lady who came in with kind of unusual carpal tunnel symptoms and I did her carpal tunnel and she didn't get better. And then after I learned about Lacertus, I did her Lacertus on that side and she got better. Mm -hmm. And when she came in for the other hand, which had now developed a problem, I said, well, do you want me to do your carpal tunnel, your Lacertus, or both? And she said, just the Lacertus, thank you. <laughs> and I did, did the Lacertus, and she got totally fine. And so sometimes I do both. Sometimes I just do one. It all depends what they have. Very, very cool. Yeah, it, the, people have to see that video to believe it, because you, it, it, it's almost like it's fake. It's that striking that on the table to have the power come back it, it, it's like a magic trick right well it's but it's not magic there's a beautiful video of uh, a single axon animal where they uh, light up 
the molecules with phosphorescent light. Have you seen that video? Yes. Yeah. And when you see that, nerves are not just saltatory conduction of electricity, but there are large molecules that drive up and down axons, just like transport trucks on highways. And they're going in both directions. They're going up and they're going down. And I'm not sure what the heck they're transporting. I don't really care what they're transporting, but they're doing something. They're, they're not there for no reason. And Elizabeth said that when you have a nerve compression, it's a little bit like stepping on a garden hose. The water is still coming out, but it's not coming out as strongly. And so those molecules can't run up and down the axon as quickly because there's a traffic jam because somebody put a log on the road. Mm -hmm. And so if you decompress the Lacertus, then whatever those molecules are, are now able to run up and down freely. And you get immediate improvement in axonal conduction. And Lee Dellen, who's a nerve expert, and I've shown him and talked to him about this, he totally believes it. I mean, it, people who understand nerves totally get this. It's, it's, it's a very cool thing. But Susan, I know we're running out of time, and yes. I, just need, I just need to add one thing here. Um, for therapists and surgeons who are still putting their K-wired finger fractures in jail, for three or four weeks, putting them in a cast. Would you please stop doing that? For the same reason that you should move flexor tendons early and you don't get them let, get them, let them get stuck in scar. K-wired finger fractures, especially if they're done awake and you test the stability of the K-wires during your surgery and make sure that it's strong enough to do, once again, full fist flexion and an extension testing, then you know you can do half a fist or move it just a little bit so it doesn't hurt. If you move those K-wired finger fractures early at three to five days, just like flexor tendons, you will get better results just like flexor tendons because the body cannot be immobilized for a long time and expect it to do well after an injury, especially the fingers. And so do, send your k-wired finger fractures to your therapists for early protected movement and therapists when they get to you it's all about pain guided healing they have to be off all painkillers and they have to listen to their body and if they listen to the pain in their fingers they will not take their fracture apart and they will not get infection in protruding k-wires so i just had to throw that in I am super thrilled that you did because it is a shame to get a patient after being trapped in jail, as you describe it, for three or four weeks when there is no reason not to allow early motion using pain-guided therapy. We are so grateful to you for taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us your words of wisdom, the tips and tricks, and brilliant pearls, which we can immediately take into our clinical practices. I have created an information sheet with how to access many of the videos we discussed over the last two podcasts, which most of them, fortunately, are open access for people to look at when they want. And anyone who wants that information can simply drop us a line at info at handtherapy.com. And I encourage everyone to sign up at wayland.surgery when they have a few minutes and they can check out your Lacertus surgery and a whole bunch more. So thank you again so, so, so very much.
you're quite welcome, Susan. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hand Therapy Heroes. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Visit handtherapy.com and register for our newsletter containing free content and courses about our fascinating hands. Hold hands today for a more functional tomorrow.